For years, the greatest minds in the world have debated the question, are we alone in the universe? And it seems, in the mainstream at least, that we're no closer to having that question definitively answered. In the last 30 years alone, NASA's space shuttle fleet have conducted 135 missions and carried 355 people into space. Now, 355 people in any other given scenario would surely be enough humans to be able to answer a simple question like this, right? And what would happen to mainstream religion if we were to suddenly find out that we're not so special and that no one god, any god at all, created this universe for us? Would religion fall apart? Would societies crumble? Would the history books need to be rewritten? And if there is intelligent life out there, beyond the stars, then why haven't we already seen it? Why haven't they visited Earth? Or have they? These are just some of the questions that we're going to discuss in today's show. So if you are a curious mind, not shackled by the popular consensus and the groupthink that plagues the majority of the world's media, and you're willing to join me as I burrow deeper down the rabbit hole, I think you're going to love this episode. So let's begin. Greetings, my fellow knowledge seekers. Hope you're doing well. Welcome to I'm All Ears. This is the rebooted version of the podcast, and this is more in line with the podcast that I wanted to record way back when I put those episodes out last year. Um, I have solved any audio issues, all the things that I was boring you with previously, I've fixed. So we won't dwell on that too much. This podcast today is about the burning question amongst truth seekers over the globe which is are we alone in the universe and it's something that something that i've thought about for years it really is something that if i could if i could change one thing or if you was to give me a wish um and and, and i could ask one question and it would be granted the answer would be given to me um with with no shade no just just as open and honest as possible, the question I would ask is, are we alone in the universe? And today we're going to discuss that. And we can't do a podcast discussing whether we are alone in the universe without first talking about the Roswell incident, which is the Super Bowl of alien conspiracies, the WrestleMania of cover-ups, the Roswell incident. You may know the Roswell incident. It's the famous um, alleged crash landing and subsequent cover-up of uh, an, an alien craft landing in the desert, specifically Corona, New Mexico, and this took place in 1947. So sit back, relax, and let's unravel this. In 1980, the book The Roswell Incident was released by Charles Berlitz and William Moore. The book goes on to state that an alien craft was hovering over New Mexico, observing US nuclear weapons activity, but it crash-landed after being hit by lightning, killing the aliens on board. This narrative is sometimes referred to as version one, and it was prevalent until the late 1980s when other authors began writing about the incident. The Roswell incident was the first book to introduce the controversial second-hand stories of civil engineer Grady Barney Barnett. 
He states that he encountered alien bodies at the wreckage and was promptly escorted away by the US Army. Now, one of the things that happened really early on in this incident is um, the Roswell Daily Record, which was a local tabloid um, in the area. They published the headline that read, RAAF captures flying saucer on ranch in Roswell region. So that is a fact. You know, we again we look at the um we look at the conspiracy aspect of it and and I get it gets lost as the years go on the the notion of a legitimate um scientific exploration here gets lost in the midst of people are just conspiracy theories and it's tinfoil hat time and and all that kind of stuff, all right? I get it. But this headline is fact and it was published now just because it was published doesn't mean that what they stated was true but very early on before before memories faded before key players died that headline was published and the army quickly retracted any statements and said that the crash was a weather balloon let's jump forward now to 1994 so in 1994 the u.s air force released the conclusion of their investigation the result was deemed that the debris was from a military operation called Project Mogul, which was a surveillance program employing high-altitude balloons. So let's dive a little bit deeper into Project Mogul. Project Mogul was a top-secret, not that top-secret because we know about it, um, a top-secret military project by the U.S. Army Air Forces that involved the use of microphones flown on high-altitude balloons, with the objective being to detect sound waves that were generated from Soviet atomic bomb tests on july 8th 1947 one of these balloons nyu flight 4 which was launched a month earlier on june 1947 was said to have crash landed in the desert near roswell new mexico the military's cover-up of this um, and the true nature of the operation and the crash is is arguably the genesis of what became known as the roswell incident if you ask me if if this is true i'm not saying it is and i'm not saying it isn't but if this is true, I'm sure the project is legit. Um, but if that's what it was, why didn't they say that earlier? And I guess, I guess, you know, there is a, a very good argument that you wouldn't, if you're actively um, running a surveillance project, you're not going to just give up the gig and say, oh, yep, yeah, that's like we. It's a surveillance project. That's what it is. Especially when you're when you're still in that conflict. So in 1947, of course, they're not going to show their hand I, I i do get that but the fact that they um you know there, there was that newspaper headline that was released and then it was quickly taken away and then it was all hush hush it just it's fun to debate and arguably the u.s air force's response and the way they handled the incident is it's kind of the jumping off point for all of the conspiracies yes you had the book um, that we just spoke about, the Roswell incident in 1980, uh, 1980 pardon me. Um, and obviously, if you're a ufologist or if you are, you know, you're a sci-fi fan and you read a book like that and you're so inclined, you're going to believe it. But I just can't help but think that the way the US military handled this, um, yeah, they kind of added fuel to the fire. So now let's jump another few years ahead to 1997. So in 1997, a second report of the incident concluded that witness reports of seeing alien bodies were likely blurred memories of seeing military dummies being used in programs in the 1950s, such as Operation High Dive, that mixed with hoaxes and false reports. So the statement theorizes that 
so much time has passed that true memories have been transformed and merged with that of propaganda, <clears throat> excuse me, propaganda and conspiracy uh, and not being able to separate the true recollection of events versus the false um, recollection or the false information that was put out there. So what was Project High Dive? Project High Dive, also known as Operation High Dive, um, was a top secret project by the US Air Force and it was using anthropomorphic dummies and the tests were to evaluate the use of high altitude parachutes for military application. However, all the tests resulted in the dummies being sent into a 200 revolutions per minute spin, which would have proved fatal to any human. Now there's date discrepancies. If you if you're keeping track of the dates here, Operation High Dive took place in the 1950s. The Roswell incident took place in 1947. Project Mogul had um, was up and running and had active operations going on also in 1947 allegedly. Okay, so the Roswell incident 1947, Project Mogul 1947, and Operation High Dive in the 1950s. So let's talk about the um, the date discrepancy briefly. So. The Roswell incident is known to have taken place, as I say, in 1947 with Operation High Dive in the 1950s. This coupled with the US, the US Air Force's um, their initial cover-up and then eventual statement in 1994 that the debris was actually from that of Project Mogul, um, it's only compounded the conspiracies over the years. So again, you know, the date discrepancy now is 2022. Um, you, as we go on, we'll start getting some key dates. But the the incident took place in 1947 it kind of dipped off and then then i think it re-emerged maybe the 1970s and and it's only snowboarded and, and more people are now into this kind of thing so it's alive and well but so if you look at um we will talk about memory and, and things like that and the reliability of memory a little bit later but i guess in 2022 or even if you said 1997 um recanting a memory from 1947 you know, and then something's happening in the 50s, it's all going to get mushed together. Probably like all these numbers you're hearing now. It gets mushed together and it's not really a reliable memory. We we, we, we overestimate how great our memories are. They are not that reliable. So the, you know, the, the unreliable nature of memory, the US Air Force's initial cover-up, um, and then time elapsed, it, it all adds fuel to this conspiracy fire i hope you guys are still with me i know there's so many dates and lots of time jumps going on here but just stay the course because there's another time jump we're going back in time this time we're going to 1995 the famous alien autopsy so in 1995 film footage began uh, began circulating showing um or alleging to show an alien autopsy that was supposedly captured by the u.s military uh, by a US military official shortly after the Roswell incident. The film was released by a London-based film producer uh, called Ray Santilli. In 2006, Santilli admitted that the footage was mostly reconstructions based on genuine footage. Um, that, uh, and he's suggesting that the footage was lost, hence why he made a reconstruction of it. So we've, we've all got that imprinted in our mind now, what the um, the, the alien autopsy was, you know, that that really shady black and white footage. Um, Anton Deck, if you're in the UK, they made a spoof film about it. Um, but the notion of an alien autopsy has stuck with us. 
And it's because of this. It's because of this footage. So Santilli um, professes or suggests that he recovered the footage and then the footage was lost, was lost and then he just reproduced it from, from reconstructions. Now, it's things like this that kind of take away the scientific element. And, it, you know, if you are an intellectual, if, you, if you've got an open mind, I guess you're you're happy to go where the evidence takes you and you're happy to look into things. And, and if something is, um, if there's not conclusive evidence on either side of the thing, you know, did it happen? Did it not? If you're on the fence, if you are a curious mind, if you're open-minded, you're happy to stay on the fence. Whereas a lot of people just take sides and they, they, they go completely left, completely right, completely up, completely down. They don't want to be in the middle. Um, but it's things like this, you know, shooting something, telling people that it's it's real footage of an alien autopsy, and then you know have people debate it for years, and then come out later on and say, oh, actually, it was um, it was a reconstruction. It's stuff like that that really makes the mainstream look at taboo and fringe um, events like this as 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 fringe events. You know, um, people like when you see Bigfoot footage and and the you know the Loch Ness monster footage and and you realize it's all fake and it's stuff like that that only pushes these subjects further and further and further to the fringes of 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 textbooks you know but we all we all know what an alien autopsy is we we all kind of have an idea if i say that word to you or if i say that's that alien autopsy and you close your eyes and think about what that is you've kind of got the idea of it you know people in lab coats really really bad footage an alien, a typical alien, which we'll get into later, just laying on a, on a on a <laughs> on an um, operating table. You know, it's imprinted in our mind, and it's because of that. But again, he's come out later on, and he said that the footage was not legit, but it was a reconstruction of genuine footage that he's seen, and that has since been lost. In two thousand and seven, Donald Schmidt and Tom Carey published the book Witness to Roswell. The book features a document that is said to be a sworn affidavit by Walter Holt, who um, had written the first army press release about the Roswell incident back in 1947. The document was alleged to have been left by Holt and um, only opened after his death in 2005. It features a description of the Roswell incident and Holt had personally, uh, how Holt had personally seen alien bodies. Um, though intriguing, the Holt document has been met with a largely unimpressed response from the mainstream and ufologists alike. Holt's uh, mental state had diminished so much by the uh, by the year 2000 that Holt himself could not recall basic details about his life and his past, making the level of detail in, in the document seem dubious. So the Holt document um, comes out and it's it's reviewed and intellectuals dive in but again, it's it's information that cannot be verified because the author of that document, um, his mental state had declined so much that he could not tell you that um, this was an accurate recollection or description of events from 1947. Arguably, in the year 2000 um, or the year 2007, um, that is enough time to have elapsed that even someone of sound mind would struggle to um, to remember information back in 1947. There is an argument that 
if you, I guess there's two arguments here. Trauma can potentially imprint a memory on your mind and you will always remember it. Or trauma will um, will make you forget. You'll put up barriers and you'll block that incident out. So both those things could be true for when we look at time elapsed. But I would suggest that I don't know if you'd be traumatized by an event like this, but I do think it would imprint on your mind and perhaps the finer details of the event would be lost over time. But the um, the incident itself would be, you know, pretty hard to forget if you ask me. If I were to ask you to draw me a picture of an alien, what would that look like to you? The most iconic depiction of aliens is that of the greys, um, also sometimes referred to as the Roswell greys, Sater reticulans, or simply just grey aliens. The greys are the most frequent subjects of close encounters and alien abduction claims. Typically, the greys are described as being human-like creatures that stand up right on two legs um, and have smooth grey skin, large black eyes, and enlarged hairless skulls. You know the ones. Honestly, I would say 80% of people, if I said, draw me an alien... You're going to draw me this classic, big-headed, big-eyed, weird cranium alien. Zeta reticuli. Now, what is that? So, they're also known as the Zeta reticulans. So, Zeta reticuli is a large, wide binary star system in the southern constellation of Reticulum. Now, Reticulum is a small and faint constellation in the southern sky. Um, its name is Latin for small net, and Reticulum is best viewed between October and December. What is the link between Zeta Reticuli and the Grey Aliens? The link between the two um, was formed in 1969 when a lady called Betty Hill had claimed that she was shown a map of the aliens' home when her and her husband Barney were abducted by aliens in 1961. A schoolteacher named uh, Marjorie Fish attempted to create a model based on a drawing that was done by Betty Hill, and it was eventually determined that the stars marked as the alien's home were Zeta Reticuli, which is a binary star system. So we have um, an alien abduction, arguably the most famous alien abduction of Barney and Betty Hill, which we will discuss shortly. Betty Hill um, draws uh, or describes what the alien's home planet system was like and a school teacher then comes and draws that. Uh, then a model's created and intellectuals get involved and it's deemed that it is that of the Zeta Reticuli. So now we, we know where the greys live or we think we know where the greys live. It's speculated. But that's where that connection comes from. Now, I won't go too much into constellations and things like that. Maybe in a different episode for a different reason. We will press on on this one. Let's talk alien abductions. Barney and Betty Hill were an American couple that claimed they were abducted by aliens in rural New Hampshire from September 19th to September 20th, 1961. The claim was the first widely publicized report of an alien abduction in the United States, and the incident came to be known as the Hill Incident, the Hill Abduction, or the Zeta Reticuli Incident. Um, it was adapted into a best-selling book in 1966 called The Interrupted Journey. So the story goes that around 10.30pm, September 19th in 1961, the Hills were driving back to Portsmouth um, from vacation when Betty claimed to have seen a bright point of light in the sky that moved from below the moon upward to the west, uh, to the west of the moon. At first, the Hills dismissed the light as a falling star. 
However, because of the erratic behaviour of the light and the fact its trajectory was heading upwards, Betty urged Barney to stop the car so they could take a look. Using binoculars that they had in the car for uh, being, I'm guessing they used them on vacation, Betty observed an oddly shaped craft that had multicoloured flashing lights. The craft travelled across the face of the moon as Betty watched in amazement um, and Barney took a look for himself but dismissed the vessel as a commercial airliner. Typical bloke. Uh, Barney allegedly quickly changed his mind when the craft rapidly changed um, course and began heading towards the couple. Barney had been quoted as saying that this object that was a plane was not a plane. A short while later, the couple observed the craft descend and hover roughly 80 foot above them. And using the binoculars, Barney claimed to see up to 11 humanoid features staring back at him uh, from observation panels on the craft. After getting back into their car and speeding off, fearing the humanoid creatures were going to capture them, as Barney put it, the couple are said to have heard and felt rhythmic, uh, a rhythmic series of buzzing and beeping. Their car then vibrated and a tingling sensation came over the couple as they began to feel like they uh, were in an altered state of consciousness that left their minds dulled. After hearing and feeling a second wave of the buzzing and beeping, the couple regained full consciousness, at which point they had travelled 35 miles south with only vague memories of the journey. After making a sharp U-turn, the couple looked back and claimed to have seen a fiery orb in the road. So this is the legendary story of Barney and Betty Hill. Um, they were an interracial couple, and I think that's important in that, given the date, so Barney was an African-American and Betty was was a white lady, okay? But given that time, I, I would argue that they probably wouldn't want any any more negative attention, you know? Already being an interracial couple, the odds were already stacked against them because we were crazy back then, um, and we weren't as understanding as we are now. And, which, you know, I don't need to tell you that. Everyone knows how that story goes. But just sort of analysing this whole thing, I can't see that a couple like that would want any negative press or any undue attention on them when times were already difficult enough. And I guess, you know, it doesn't mean it's a fact. We're not here to state anything's fact or anything's fiction. It's just a discussion. But they both... But why would they why would they come up with this story? I guess is where I'm going. Why would they come up with this this ridiculous story back when they themselves were already a taboo subject? Is that why? Is it you know, they they're already looked at differently, so let's just give people something to think about. I don't know. I I often I often wonder why multiple people will come up with the same story, you know. It's like um, suicide packs or cults or, you know, why do, why do more than... How, how does the universe make these people just, you know, align this recipe of if these two people didn't meet, would this story not have happened? If, you know, serial killer couples, if they didn't meet, would, would one have been a serial killer and the other one wasn't? The perfect storm of events needed to happen for, for this historic event to occur i just can't see why they would lie long-winded i know i just don't understand why they would lie um but it doesn't mean that what happened what they say happened happened but it is the og original alien abduction story there's been many more and i'm sure as we go on with the podcast 
in future episodes we'll look at more modern versions of um, alien abduction stories but i just think for for timeline purposes this is probably the one that you need to know guys if you are enjoying this podcast then please consider sharing it on all of your social media platforms telling your friends about it um and giving me feedback too wherever you find the link where if i know you and you can come and speak to me directly tell me what you like tell me what you don't like if i share this on a social platform please just leave a comment and let me know what you what you want to change what you think i shouldn't change what you liked what you didn't like yeah just please 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 like and share it goes a long way and it's free so as we know the hills case captivated and sparked debate across the globe um, but it wasn't the first known reporting of, or, or documenting of aliens visiting the Earth. Uh, we've known encounters, as far as I can see, dating back to 45,000 BC in China's uh, Hunan province. There were rock carvings dating back to the age of the Neanderthals showing round flying saucer-like objects in the sky. Another fun one to look at when we talk, talk about the ancients and, and going back to first reportings and things like that is is the pyramids. You know, a popular notion among ufologists, conspiracy theorists, and and I guess those with an open mind, is that of the ancient astronaut theory. So in a nutshell, the theory suggests that many years ago, extraterrestrial life visited the Earth and began creating the infrastructure of shaping human history as we know it. People often cite uh, things like the pyramids, you know, the, the three pyramids of Giza being perfectly aligned with the three stars of Orion's belt at a time when science would not have been advanced enough for humans to have the knowledge of the astronomical positionings of the stars. However, you know, these three pyramids perfectly align. Another reason that ancient astronauts uh, theorists subscribe to this school of thought is, is that of just literally the blocks used to build the pyramids, you know, weighing two ton each, with some of them being, uh, some individual blocks being estimated to weigh up to 50 tons. How did they move these items without mechanical aid? You can argue that it's done with just getting a lot of bodies on it, I guess. Uh, people probably wanted to work a little bit more back then, <laughs> more, more so than they do now. Um, but still, lifting two tons. And then not only lifting two tons, it's not just about moving the blocks from where they found them down the Nile and then building the pyramids. It's, okay, you've got the foundation layer, let's say. Brilliant, you've moved two ton a time. If we just stay at that, that, um, that weight. But what about building upwards, you know, perfect, perfect architecture at such a time when as far as we know, architecture, you know, nothing has ever been as scientifically advanced as it is now and as it will be tomorrow. That's just fact. That's just how that's how, you know, technology and um, civilization go. We progress forward until a cataclysmic event wipes us out and then we have to start again. So how the hell did they build those pyramids without mechanical aid? And as far as I know, they didn't have use of the wheel. How did they transport the blocks when they got the blocks to the desired location? How did they stack those blocks? There probably is, there's probably good research. And in fact, I know there is, there, there is research out there um, with explanations on how these things were built. But it just, to me, uh, I, even if you got rid of all of the other, you know, the, the, the Roswell incident and the Hill incident, to me, these are just questions that, how you know, how were the pyramids built is is a question all on its own. And maybe I'll dive into that and we'll do some more research for another episode. But regardless if it was a, if you think it was aliens or if you subscribe to ancient astronaut theory, it's just absolutely amazing that these ancient civilizations had the wherewithal to 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 do all this 
without mechanical aid, or at least without mechanical aid in the way that we look at modern technology. One of the things that I, um, you know, that I'm always curious about is, you know, is technology cyclical? So, you know, I'm not saying that the Egyptians had iPhones, but do did ancient civilization say uh, ancient civilizations? Excuse me, I'm getting too excited. Did ancient civilizations have access to technology that died out with that civilization? You know, was there enough gap in time that technologies and the uh, manuscripts or the, the 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 plans, the drawings of technologies were lost with the creators? Uh, you know, is is technology a cyclical thing that comes around and then it goes and then we get it again? Did they have the wheel? And then that technology was lost. Did they have lift, you know, lifting capabilities? And this isn't just the, um, uh, the the ancient Egyptians. This is civilizations in general. There has been many, many um, examples of primitive versions of batteries shown on uh, wall carvings, you know. And again, batteries back then, they're not probably, they, they weren't used to power um, or to charge your iPhone or your laptop. It was a very primitive version of that technology. But what were they used for? There's pictures of light bulbs. There's pictures of flying saucers and people praying. You know, the gods themselves come from above, which loops back to the ancient astronaut theory that were the gods actually aliens? You know, is that were we looking up to an extraterrestrial life force that came down and gave us the building blocks of, of the technology that we know and use now? Are we a farm? That's another theory. Are, is the Earth simply a human farm um, or a zoo for the extraterrestrials to look down on? And, and you know, uh, are we an experiment? Are we a science project to the ETs? Let's talk about the five classifications of UFO encounters or encounters with extraterrestrials. So these encounters are as follows. Close encounters of the first kind. Visual sightings of a UFO seemingly less than 500 feet away um, where considerable detail can be noted. Close encounters of the second kind, a UFO event in which a physical effect is alleged, which can include the interference with the functioning of a vehicle or electronic device, animals reacting, a physiological effect such as paralysis or heat and discomfort in the witness, or some kind of physical trace like scorched ground or affected vegetation or chemical trace. Close encounters of the third kind, these are encounters where an animated entity is present, so humanoid creatures, robots, or even humans that may be being used as hosts or pilots of a UFO. Kind of like what Benny, Betty and Barney Hill suggested they saw, and the greys going back to that. Close encounters of the fourth kind. This is an encounter where a human is abducted by a UFO or its occupants, or when the witness uh, experiences a transformation of their senses of reality. And close encounters of the fifth kind are this encounter must include direct communication between ETs and humans. So these five classifications are widely accepted among ufologists or again let's just say it conspiracy theorists. Dr. Stephen Greer, he if you want if you know who that is if not put him in YouTube or Google, he's got lots of videos on this subject. I think there's actually seven classifications, probably more. Um but as far as I could see these these five are the ones that are widely accepted and that um you can pretty much use for every uh every scenario involving an e t so we've covered a lot of ground all the way back to uh, from nineteen forty seven to you know through the eighties and obviously all of this applies to today as well in two thousand and twenty but 
each given second, minute, hour, day, month, year, century that goes on, witnesses of the original events will die. Memory will become faded. Recollection will be distorted. So let's talk about false memories. Now, I'm using the source here, verywellmind.com, for this description. What is a false memory? A false memory, according to verywellmind.com, is a fabricated memory or distorted recollection of an event. Now, again, the 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 genesis of, of what of what we the jumping off point here was nineteen forty seven. That's a long time ago. I couldn't tell you much about what happened forty seven minutes ago. <laughs> That's just how it is. Um, you know, false memory might be entirely false and imaginary. Um, and in other cases, it may contain elements of fact that have been distorted over time uh, by interfering information or other memory distortions. And I think one of the main misconceptions people have about memory is that it's like a video recorder where you can simply trawl through the files in your brain, in your internal hard drive, go to a memory and press play. And your your memory and your, your mind will automatically replay the events exactly how they took place. That's not the case. That really isn't the case. The human mind and memory is extremely prone to fallacy. People can be 100% confident that what they're saying is an accurate recollection of an event, but it isn't. And they're not liars. There's a difference between people that are lying um, and people that are just trying to you know, recall a situation and it being wrong. These also are not people who are forgetful. This is the human mind. There's very few people that do not succumb to uh, to to this. This is just how we are wired, you know? Um, so psychologists define and distinguish false memories using some of the following elements. Mental experiences that uh, people believe are accurate, representations of past events, um, or trivial details, believing you put your keys on the table when you got home, to much more serious, believing you saw someone at the scene of a crime. This is why witnesses alone are not reliable sources of information and people don't get thrown in prison simply because someone thinks they saw someone do something. I'm sure that's happened. I'm sure it will continue to happen. But as a whole, that's not something we do. It's not uh, representative of the legal system. Um, however, the court of public opinion is a different story. Um, so what causes a false memory? Why do memories, false memories happen? Factors that can influence false memory include misinformation, of the original source so the information you get in the first instance is wrong and then you run with it first impressions and all that you can have other interferences uh, with the formation of new memories there could be uh, causing the recollection of an event to be mistaken or entirely false um, there's a doctor or a psychologist called elizabeth loftus um, and she's an american cognitive psychologist um, and she's probably i would say she's an expert on on human memory and she suggested that false memories from uh, form more readily when enough time has passed that the original memory has faded. So in the eyewitness testimony, testimony for example, the uh, the length of time between the incident and the interview of the event plays a role in how suggestive people are to false memory. So again, it, it, it fits perfectly now. The more time, the more removed we are from the Roswell incident, the less we're, we're going to have accurate representations of what happened. Because a week later those memories were already distorted a month later they were even further distorted now we're so far down the line that most of the people have passed away or their cognitive functions have uh, decreased anyway with age so 
it's uh, you know we we get left with not a lot to go on apart from conspiracy theories, you know, and speculation, and then people, if 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 you didn't know anything about any of these incidents that I've spoken about today, and this was the first time you've heard it, this is now your memory. This is now how you are going to form your your memory of these events, um, unless you go and do your own independent research and you know and, and really become. Uh, authoritative in the matter if this if i'm the one telling you what's going on that that's all you've got um and then over time if you try to remember this podcast without listening to it back you'll distort it you'll get it wrong so after all this time why hasn't there been an indisputable case of contact with extraterrestrial life whether that is a ufo landing on earth or whether that is a communication being sent out into space and being picked up, received, and sent back, or us intercepting alien communications between their own civilizations. Why, why has that not happened? So that's what the SETI Institute aimed to do. That is SETI.org, S-E-T-I dot O-R-G. They are not involved or, or not looking for conspiracy theories and trying to prove them right. They're not suggesting that aliens are these clumsy beings that come to Earth and then crash land in or get hit by lightning or get the common cold or that we're a human farm or a zoo. They are literally a, a scientific organization with some amazing minds looking outwards into the stars and trying to answer those questions for us. That's not to say that if you are on the side of the fence that is that aliens have been here, it doesn't mean that their science is moot. You know, it, it, it's still a valid area of science. And actually, probably the more reliable. Now, at present, in 2022, there has been no detection of radio frequencies in space or any reciprocation, reciprocation of communication from ETs back to Earth. The galaxy, or the space and, and, and the universe as a whole is so big that in the 50 years that we've been searching, that is, that's like a grain of salt in the ocean. 50 years is not a long time. In, in another 50 years, that still won't be a long time. In 200 years, that's still not a long time when you look at how old the universe is, the distances that we need to look. So there is, there's, there's not any conclusive evidence yet we're just left with these conspiracy theories and some mainstream media people shutting down the notion of extraterrestrial life if you ask me i'm going to wrap this one up right but if you ask me are there aliens out there i would say yes 100 percent. if you ask me have they visited the earth i i would be on the fence on that one i do not know it seems ridiculous i know but We've we've landed on the moon, you know. We've got rovers on Mars. We have satellites and and astronauts in space right now. Com commercial grade vessels are now being sent to space by billionaires who have no affiliation with the government. Technology is moving at a rapid pace, and what's to say that there's other civilizations that do not have the same kind of technology, better technology? You know, what? Why not? We haven't even begun to explore the universe we've we've not even begun to really explore the depths of the ocean so it goes without saying that if there's any civilizations 
at distances to which we could find them, they're in the same position as us, potentially. How do they get, you know, they need to develop the technology to communicate with us. It's just, I think it's an ignorant thing to say that aliens do not exist because we're aliens. You know, in a hundred years time, if we colonize Mars somehow, or if we find a planet that's Earth-like, which we know many uh, exist, if we colonize and terraform or whatever we do, terraform these planets, in a hundred years, people from Earth will be the aliens to the people on that planet. And they will be the aliens to us. So what does alien mean? Does alien mean the Zeta Reticuli, the big-eyed, big cranium aliens, the greys? Or does it simply mean being born on a different planet? You know, what is an alien? And then what is life? Do we look at, um, you know, intelligent life, microbial life? You know, the, 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 the building blocks of life for humans and, and most of all of the species that live on this planet might not apply to, you know, other beings. We know what we need to, uh, to form life. It's an absolute miracle that we are alive and that humans exist. It's one in a billion, billion chances or whatever that human life intelligent life that can um that can be introspective and be self-aware exists that's like a massive miracle that scientifically it might it couldn't happen again or it's very very unlikely it would happen again however the universe is so big that it kind of i'm not an intellectual mind i'm not a scientist but you know having scientists say that the chances of of life on a planet existing and being created is so rare that it likely wouldn't happen elsewhere but then also saying that the universe is expanding and it's huge and it's vast those two arguments to me suggest that there are definitely aliens out there there's definitely other other species and, and if they're you know maybe they exist and they've since passed maybe it's that cyclical thing again I don't know. We're going to wrap this one up. I do not profess to be able to convince you of anything. I'm not an intellectual. I'm not that smart. But these are just topics that I find interesting. And hopefully you find them interesting too. If you do, please like and share and just tell your friends about this podcast and give me any feedback you can. If there's anything that you want to know or any uh, subjects you want me to speak about, either if it's on this topic or on any other taboo um, subjects out there, let me know. Send me an email, give me a text, and we will do it. So this has been I'm All Ears. I'm Liam Kearney. Thank you very much for listening. See you on the next one.